0: wanted to mention that we are uh, because last week was to be our newcomers luncheon. Uh, if you couldn't, uh, if you couldn't get in on that, but you're a newcomer, we would love to have you um, next Sunday after service. There is a sign-up sheet, and uh, we would love to be able to have you together. Uh, we began if you. If, you haven't been with us for a couple of weeks. We began a new series of messages uh, called Worship. And uh, we looked at understanding that God created us specifically with a proclivity, something deep inside us that wants to worship. But God made us to worship himself. And, and uh, that's our purpose he made us in his image and created us that we could have an intimate relationship with him, which is incredible. And um, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asked this question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to uh, glorify God. You now I just, I just drew a blank like that, so I need some of you. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God created you and me to enjoy Him forever and ever and ever. And, and that is our purpose. Now what happens is we, we find objects uh, to worship other than God. We're taken with idolatry and we start and love and, and, and uh, look to and count on things other than God. But God made us. To be in a relationship with him of love. Think about it. The almighty, the creator, the sustainer fashioned us so that we could be in a relationship with him. And worship is our appropriate response to the revelation of God. As he shows himself to us and who he is and what he does. And that we respond to that in such a way that he's adored and exalted and glorified and lifted up. And is is given the position of supreme worthiness. And uh, we saw that, uh, that uh, worship embraces all of our lives, every, everyday things. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 that whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, even the most mundane things of life are to be done in such a way that they bring glory to God. That is, every part of our life is, uh, is to be lived to, as worship before God. And uh, it's interesting that as we look through the Bible, uh, we recognize that when you go from the Old Testament into New Testament, that somehow worship has changed. Um, there was a change that has, uh, has come uh, for us, uh, that Jesus talked about the old is gone and there's something new Something new had arrived in his time. And we see this in an interaction that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. Uh, Jesus is going from Jerusalem, uh, kind of down a little further south, and going up to Galilee where he lived and stayed. And a comment is made in John 4 that he had to go through Samaria, which isn't totally true. I mean, it's the shortest route. And some of the Jews, because they didn't like the Samaritans and vice versa, they would go across the Jordan River and and go up and avoid going through there, but not Jesus. He, he goes into the Sar- uh, Samaritan territory, and he's just outside of a town called Sychar, and there he is, sends the disciples to go into town and get something to eat. He's hungry, he's thirsty, and it's about noon hour, and a woman comes to draw water from a well, and normally you didn't come in the heat of the day, you did that early in the morning, and you got your chores done. And so here's this woman all by herself coming, and Jesus is there. And Jesus talks to her, and, and uh, he said, uh, Could you give me a drink, please? And she's kind of taken aback, because you didn't talk to a woman you didn't know. It was a strange person, and Jesus is identified as a Jewish person. so She's kind of, she's kind of taken aback. You're talking to me. Uh, that's kind of weird. Um, you being a Jew... And I being a Samaritan, and, and uh, John gives us a little, little uh, editorial comment that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. They didn't have much to do with each other. So you just avoid them. You wouldn't have anything to do with them. But Jesus said, give me a drink of water, would you please? And uh, she, she says, you're talking to me? And he says, you know, if you knew who you're talking to, you'd ask me for water, and I'd give you water, and, and it would be living water, and you'd never thirst again. And uh, she's interested in that, sir, sir. You know, tell me where I can get this water because I don't want to come here every day and go through this tedious thing. And um, Jesus, uh, Jesus said, "Look, it, um, go get your husband, will you?" And she says, uh, "Well, I'm, I'm not married." Jesus said, "Well played, well put. No, you're not married. You've been married five times, and the guy you're with now is not your husband." Ouch. Um, that's kind of. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of a little invasive, isn't it? And so she says, uh, Sir, I kind of think you're a prophet or something. How do you know all this stuff? And Jesus engages her. And and whether she's trying to sidestep the embarrassment of saying, I've had all these husbands and I'm living with this guy who's not my husband now, or whatever it is. Uh, But Jesus says says this. Uh, She says to him, uh, you uh, you Jews, you you work you worship in Jerusalem, and we, we worship up here. And, um, you know, so you say that's the place to worship, and we say this. Was she trying to throw him off the track just to save further embarrassment? I'm not sure whether she was genuinely seeking or just going through that. But um, Jesus says this. He says, you know what? You guys don't know what your... You don't know what you're talking about in terms of worship. In fact, I want to, I want to read the passage in John four nineteen to 24 for you. Um, Sir, the woman says, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. So Jesus didn't, he, he wasn't into the politically correct thing. You know, where everybody's, oh, it's right for you. No, Jesus said, you don't know what you're doing. You don't, you're not worshiping properly. There's a proper way to worship and there's an improper way. And, and, and you don't know what you're doing. And, and he says, we worship what we do know. Next, please. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, Jesus expresses this, that worship was to be expressed in spirit and truth. Now, it's interesting that what happened years and years, the history in this, goes back years and years to when there was, uh, there was a break between the southern part of the country and the northern part. They, they had their own kings, they had their own kingdom, their own uh, 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 governance, and all of the rest of that. But there's one thing the northern kingdom didn't want to do, and they didn't want to have their people to go to Jerusalem To their enemy brothers in this kind of civil war situation they were in. They didn't want them to go there. So they established their own place of worship. Which was not what God had commanded. And Jesus calls them out on this. You you worship what you don't know. It's what you're doing is not right. But worship was to be expressed, Jesus says. There was a time coming when they wouldn't worship that place, Jerusalem or in Samaria. And, And worship was to be expressed in spirit and in truth. And with the spirit and truth, what we, what we don't know, what, what you don't see in the original language that the Bible is written in, whether that spirit was like a capital S, like Holy Spirit, or a, a small s, um, just the interior person, the, the internal person. I want to suggest to you today that it really encapsulates both. God said, what I'm looking for is, is worshippers that will worship me in spirit and truth. In spirit, from this standpoint, uh, that God is spirit, he's invisible, he's divine, he has no body. So worship is to be not just external, it's an interior kind of thing. It's from the heart, it's rightly motivated, it, it needs to be right, authentic, integrity, and, and internal, not just going through the motions, because we came here today and you could have, as an act of worship, you could have sung, but it maybe meant nothing to you. You could have closed your eyes during prayer because that's what you do. And we would look at you and, and you maybe put an offering in and you're listening to me and you're listening to the Word of God. And it could be that that, that, that maybe doesn't mean anything to you. I mean, you're going through the motions outwardly. And maybe we have communion, and you take the bread, and you take the cup, and you're going through the motions, but there's nothing in there that's happening. And, and Jesus says, you've you got to worship from spirit. That's from the, the inside out, not just religious activity, not just going through the motions of rituals that we go through. Uh, but I think it also means spirit as in Holy Spirit. And... Uh, Depending on your your translation, some will capitalize the Spirit and some won't. But nothing we can do in terms of worship we can offer properly without the aid of God's Holy Spirit who works into us and gives us a deep appreciation for what He's done and who He is. And so I think that 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 makes, um, He purifies our motives and He fills us with love and that we want to honor God. And then he says that it's spirit and truth, and that is it's guided by God's word and the truth of what God says about himself and how we come to him and what we do. And so he says the, spirit that I, the, the worship that I'm talking about is spirit, worship that is in spirit and in truth. See, there are right ways and there are wrong ways. There are right attitudes and wrong attitudes, and we need to have God by his Holy Spirit help us. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father besides me. Well, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit, uh, John in John, is called the Spirit of Truth. He's the Spirit of Truth. And, and time had arrived when worship would be in a whole new way. It wouldn't be like it happened in the Old Testament. See, here's what it is. Worship will no longer be um, centered on a time and a place and rituals. The worship that Jesus was talking about isn't going to be this time, place, and, and uh, ritual kind of thing. Where certain days we worship. And only in certain places do we worship. And we worship in certain prescribed ways. There's going to be a time, Jesus says, um, where we're not going to have... Those holy days, where we're not going to have those sacrifices, where we're not going to—it's not going to be meeting at the temple in Jerusalem. Everything that had been previously observed would change, and Jesus um, next would uh, be replaced. Jesus has replaced the temple as the focus and the location of worship and the presence of God. So, uh, what, what is what is a temple? A temple is a place where a deity would reside and and when god gave a, a commandment for the building of the tabernacle and later the permanent building the temple the temple was a place where god's presence would be so you have you have a uh, excuse me a uh, a court and inside the court there's uh, there's a two special rooms one is twice the size as the other and it's called the holy place And there were certain things that were in there that were used for worship. And then beyond that, there's a curtain, a huge, heavy curtain, like like maybe that thick. And behind that was a room called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's presence was said to have dwelt. So the people would come to worship. They would come to the temple to worship where God's presence is. And... uh, Where God would dwell. But something is changing. Uh, The the presence of God is no longer going to be relegated to that place on earth. In, In fact, in John 1 and verse 14, it says this. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh, became human. And he made his dwelling among us. And the word there is tabernacle. That's where God would be with his people, in the tabernacle. And it said that Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so Jesus, uh, early in his ministry in John, in John chapter 2, he goes to the temple uh, for a a time of one of the feasts. What he sees there disturbs him terribly when he sees... Uh, the money changers and the and the vendors and all of what they were doing, and how they were desecrating the place. And Jesus makes a whip, and he goes in and he drives them out of there. And he turns over the tables and and sends them all scattering. And um, he, they ask him a question, like the the, lead, the the religious leader said, "What are you doing? By what authority are you doing? What give us a sign or something?" And so in John two. Jesus answered them, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And they say, uh, they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this marvelous structure. And you are going to raise it in three days. Next. Uh, But the temple he spoke of was his body. His body is the temple. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he'd said, then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus says, I'm gonna, you destroy this temple, this body. Because there's the presence of God in that body with him um, there in Israel. He said, You destroy it in three days, I'll raise it up again. They didn't, they didn't get that. But this was an indication that the whole worship system that Jesus had known had been prescribed by God, had become obsolete in Jesus. Jesus now will take the place of the temple. That is God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And now we're no longer looking to a temple. Jesus, his body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And now the Old Test- the Old Testament system is done. It's obsolete. It's finished. All of that system is done. And so, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, we read this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. He said, it's done. The whole Old Testament system of worship, bringing the the sacrifices and all that they were prescribed to do is done. That was, he said, a shadow, a shadow, a a foreshadowing of the reality that's to come. Now, I saw a church that was going to be building a new building. And what they did was they had a uh, uh, to-scale model designed uh, for that building. And they had it out in the lobby. And you could go and see, oh, this is what our new church is going to look like, and, and this is what the building will be, and here are the colors, and there's the, the respective sizes and whatnot. You say, is, is, that your, is that your church building? No, 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 that, that's not our building. That's a model of it. That's, that's a shadow. That's, that shows you something, but the reality is yet to come. And that's what Jesus says, is what he did, it was a shadow, what, what happened in the Old Testament was a shadow, and all of those things pointed to Christ, all of them pointed to Jesus, and, and those would all um, become obsolete, and, and God instituted a new form of worship, and that would happen through Jesus. In fact, the old, the old system couldn't do it. Because the priests, they had to atone for their own sin. Then they had to atone for the sin of the people. And and in that holy place, there was never a place to sit down because you were never done. The sacrifices went day after day and year after year and, and it never fully dealt with the sin issue it had to be done over and over again and those priests that worked they died and others had to take their place and and they perpetuated this thing and it shows that that whole system even though God gave it was not fully um, effective for dealing with those sins And, and unlike Jesus who offered his body as a sacrifice. Once for all, one time, that's all it took for Jesus. It, was, it would never have to be done again. There was the end of the, all the sacrifices. And the temple reminded them how remote God was because they couldn't get into the Holy of Holies. Only the, the high priest, once a year, dare go in there, and that was it. The way was closed. And yet we heard what happens on Good Friday. Well well Jesus is hanging on the cross in that afternoon the temple was the temple uh, a curtain was torn and exposing the pres- where the presence of God would be the whole system was done uh, done with and and uh, it showed how inaccessible inac- inac- it was but Jesus would open the way to a whole new kind of worship Jesus, you see, lives and, and, uh, in believers through the Holy Spirit. You know, about 30, 40 years after Jesus died, the temple was, uh, was destroyed by the Romans. Do you know from that time, almost 2,000 years later, the Old Testament uh, system of worship has, has uh, not existed. I remember I, I got together with a rabbi uh, quite a number of years ago when I, when I was in London. And, uh, you know, I said to him, what do you do when your whole system of worship you can't do? You can't offer the sacrifices. He's, because there is no temple. From that time to this time, there's no temple. So there, there's no temple worship, which was prescribed in the Old Testament. He said, well, we, we count this. If when, when we obey God, Though we don't have a temple and we can't worship in that way, we believe that God will accept our worship in this way. But the temple is done, and Jesus said it's done because not because you can't rebuild it. It's done because Jesus replaced it. And so Jesus now lives in believers through the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 14, and verse 23, we read this. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now listen, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. What is a temple? The temple is the place where God dwells. And he says this, my father and I will come to them and we're going to make our home with them. In in John 14, 15 to 17, it says this, if you love me, keep my commands and I'll ask the father and he'll give you another advocate, a replacement for Jesus to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. What does that mean? That means that the church collectively is the temple of God. This gathering of people, you and I, are uh, what what First Peter says, we're a house. We're built as a, as a uh, a temple to God. All of us are like living stones. The place where God dwells with us here, and so in Ephesians two nineteen to twenty two, Paul says this. He's speaking to Gentiles, and he said, you know what, you guys were left out. But, but now I've done something wonderful. And out of the two, Gentiles and Jews. So I'm a Gentile. Most of us here are Gentiles. We have been included and God has made one new person out of Jew and Gentiles. He said, consequently, you're no longer foreigners. That's to us Gentiles and strangers. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the fond- foundation of the apostles and the prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So, this gathering here today, we gather, we are collectively the temple of God. God dwells in us, we are his people. And, and this gathering becomes a place of worship, because God is here. And, and the old has gone. So, so here we are. We are the church. We are the temple of God. And I tell you something, this building is not the house of God. So we use that, right? Welcome to the house of God. it's, it's not really the house of God. You all are the house of God. We're going to be having this in the sanctuary. It's not a sanctuary. Because that that all is passe. We are the sanctuary. This building is not the sanctuary. We are the dwelling place of God. We don't go to the temple. We are the temple as we worship. And... um, And wherever we are gathering, Jesus is there present by the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus came, uh, he made obsolete all the old things. And so we use old language sometimes to talk about it, but we need to get into the New Testament and what what he's saying. So uh, I want to say this also. Individual believers are also the temple of God. So collectively, we're the dwelling place of God. But also, individual believers are the temple of God. So in 1 Corinthians 3, it says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. You, you, and I are the temple of the living God. And Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to live in us, so that this is a sacred place, and this is where we worship God internally. In First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you whom you have received from God you are not your own you were bought at a price therefore honor God with your bodies you know it's interesting we we were doing a study in 1 John and um, talking about how do we have surety and assurance and security about our standing with God and we realized that, that what they were dealing with was people were saying, hey, you know what? The body's not important. It doesn't matter what you do. You can be immoral with your body. You can abuse your body. All the rest of that stuff it doesn't matter because it's just the spirit that matters. Uh uh-uh. uh. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, the body is sacred. And in this whole thing he's talking about, before this, he's talking about sexual immorality, what we do with our bodies, and it doesn't matter. He said it does matter, because your body is the dwelling place of God, and that makes it a temple, and that makes it the place where you worship God. So individual believers, um, we need to treat with respect the body. We, we need to rec- recognize that the body is holy. It's set apart to God. I think that's why he says, um, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Your bodies as what? <laughs> Living sacrifices. And your body is God's. He dwells there and that makes it a place of worship. And, and so that means it's a temple and that we are worshiping God all the time because of his presence and that's it worship is a continuous outpouring of our lives to God that reflects his beauty and worthiness and that's why I can say whether you eat or whether you drink whatever you do everything you do is to be done to the glory of God even in the most mundane of things so I want to say this then private worship precedes corporate worship See, you say, well, I came to worship today. No, no, no. You never stopped worshiping through the week. You, you lived a life of worship that everything you did, you did to honor God, to please God, to, to exalt God, to glorify God. And, and, uh, and what we do when we come here is we continue what we've done all week, and that is we worship together. But if you can't worship privately, you can't worship corporately. So we worship privately and we bring our worship into this place and join with others. And um, and and here's a, a surprising truth. Um, you, can, you can check this out if you want, but here it is. The church is never instructed to gather expressly for worship. Did you hear me? The church in the New Testament is never instructed to gather expressly for worship. You say, that sounds like heresy. Check it out. Read the New Testament. See if the church is ever called to gather for worship. Um, in the Old, see, the Old Testament format, because it, it's picking off that, it was made Obsolete. So not once does the church call for, the, uh, does the New Testament call for the church congregation to come to worship? Um, and let me say this: there is no express format, format laid out for corporate worship. You say, "Well, this is how you should worship: you do this, and then you do this, and you do this." And you... God doesn't give us that. He doesn't give the, so you may, you may be all hot and bothered, and you say, this is how it has to be done, and this is how we do it in our tradition, and I can say, you can do that, that's fine, but you can't make a case that this is the way it has to be. The Old Testament had very specific instructions for days, for sacrifices, for rituals. They were carefully prescribed. We don't have that in the New Testament. Um, so we've got to be careful when we speak authoritatively in terms of what we believe God has for us. And that doesn't mean that, that there's nothing to go on. That doesn't mean that, uh, that the Scripture doesn't talk about things that believers do when they gather together. But what, when the church gathers together, here's what they're admonished to gather for, and that is this. The church is instructed to gather for encouragement and edification. You came here, you came, yes, you, you, you were a worshiping person and you came to continue that worship, join with us, but you came here instructed by Scripture to gather for encouragement and edification. And we're re- repeatedly told to get together, to build each other up, to, to encourage each other, to grow. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So you came here today, and he says, what you you should have come is to encourage and build up other people around you. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. Now, there are many ways that we do that. We have the, the teaching of the Word of God. We have prayer. We sing praises to God. We read the Scriptures. We collect offerings and, and, and worship God in that way. We help each other. We use the gifts that we have. Uh, we, we do things like celebrate baptism and the Lord's table. We share testimonies. We serve each other and more and more. We, we greet one another with a holy kiss or a holy handshake or whatever you do. And, and all of those things uh, we do Although we're not called to to gather for worship, all of those are worship. Because all we do is worship. Everything we do is done in worship to God. And and so, here's here's the thing then. Um, So corporate worship has both a Godward focus and a people focus. So when we gather together, we gather to... to, uh, to engage with God and to gauge with, engage with one another. Do you remember when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with the totality of your being. And he said, the second is like it. What is that? It's to love your neighbor as yourself. So we don't come and offer animal sacrifices. Um, but we do offer sacrifices. Listen to what, listen to what the, the, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Say, well, we're in the New Testament. We we don't do sacrifice. Oh, yes, you do. You do a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. So when we come together, we praised him. We lifted him up. We sang about him. But he says he doesn't stop there. And don't forget to do good and share with others. For of such sacrifices... God is pleased. So when we come together, we come together to honor God. We come to remember him, uh, to lift him up, uh, to praise him, to thank him, to confess our sins to him. But we also come with in mind uh, those around us. So we, we're, we're looking to God, but we're also looking to each other. We, we, there, see, the, the beautiful thing is this. We can come and praise and adore God and, and all those things we do. But we also come in an awareness of the needs of others who are around us to help them, to encourage them, to build them up, uh, to use our gifts, to pray for them, uh, to sing. You know, the Bible says, sing to yourselves, sing to one another, hy- psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Why do, why do we do that? Because we, because we encourage each other. So you saw these people standing up here singing and, and pouring out their heart. and They were singing to you. Come, let us worship the Lord. Come, come. Encouraging each other. Do you come, when you come to worship, do you come with a mind that you're here to worship, uh, to worship God by reaching out and helping and encouraging others? See, that's what we came for. We came to help. We came to encourage everyone. And there's something that's so special that happens. See, I can worship by myself at home. I can praise God. But when I come together, I want you to imagine this is an orchestra. And let's say the only instrument that was playing was a piccolo. I got nothing against a piccolo. It's just a small instrument. That's why I picked it. A piccolo. Or a timpani, a timpani drum or whatever it is. But, but think about it. When we come together. And, and we're motivated by God to be here. And, and, and our fervor as we look at each other. And we sing to each other. And, 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 and you, you see somebody singing, you know, God is so wonderful. And you see them engaged with God. And that encourages you. And you, you talk to somebody else. Or you pray for somebody else. And you encourage somebody else. And we find that there's something beautiful that happens when the whole body comes together with all of our diversity, all of our young and our old, and our different backgrounds and our ethnicity and our experiences and all of those things. And we come together, and we 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 engage with God together, and it just cranks it up. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Um, would would one person? Just applaud me, please. With just one person, anybody. Thank you. No, just one. No, keep, don't stop. Now let's all let's all clap. It's different. It's different when one person sings and we all sing, and we encourage each other. That's what we gather for, and that that is worship. But we're not called specifically to come together just for worship. We're called to encourage each other. So I trust that when you come in here, you are looking to others. And and, and you may need some encouragement. Or you may be giving encouragement. You may be helping or praying or, or whatever you're doing. But when we come together, we magnify the Lord. And it is incredible when everybody's doing it. But we need to be able to do it first at home. And it's the power of doing it together. And my prayer is that as you come week by week, that you would come out of of a week of of engaging with God because your body is a temple. He lives there. And wherever you are is a place of worship. And wherever you are, you can enjoy Him and and, uh, praise Him and live for Him. And when we come together, we just crank it up hundreds of times more as we all do our thing. And God is pleased with that. So we're going we're gonna to continue this series, um, and, and we're going to learn more about what worship is. But I trust that you'll come with some new eyes, uh, realizing it's a new day. And God has called us to worship in a whole new way. As we gather together for him. Uh, Father we thank you so much. Lord how incredible is it. That my body is the dwelling place. Of the God of the universe. Who created and sustains everything. He is with me every moment of every day. And wherever I am is a place of worship. Help us Father to see you. To see your son and the Holy Spirit. Help us to live our lives in in a way that is pleasing to you in all of our life. Not just worship isn't coming here for an hour and a half, one day a week. Worship is a lifestyle of honoring you, enjoying you, living for you, lifting you up and glorifying you and sharing you with others. And Father, help us to recognize that what we do for each other also is an act of worship. And you call us to gather together and strengthen us. Lord, some people need strengthening here today. Would you do that in them? Some people are discouraged. Some people are, are, uh, are, are dragging and, and just feel like quitting. Father, we pray that as the body ministers to one another, that you would bless that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. opportunity to continue worshiping as we go out as we enjoy a good meal at lunch and and family and friends and all of the blessings that God has showered us with and we live in in constant awareness of his goodness and his person and his closeness and what he means to us Um, don't forget to sign up for some of the good things, love to see a pile of you if you're able to show up at six tonight, and uh, and let me just uh, pray a blessing upon you. Father, I thank you for this family of God, and I just pray you would just pour out your blessing upon us. Lord, you do bless us, but make us aware of all the ways that you bless us. May we reach out to each other in love and uh, into our community, and Father, may your love and grace flow from us to one another and to the world around us that so desperately needs to know there's a God who loves them. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen. God bless you all.